You've seen probably those paintings, those pictures, uh, the designed to be motivators. You've probably seen those uh, pictures of a team of crew rowers, uh, and on the bottom says teamwork, and a little phrase to inspire you. Or somebody climbing a rock and says hope, right? Well, I discovered a website that is called demotivators.com, and uh, all they do is that. They write demotivators. And demotivators.com is the website for a company called Despire Inc. So I want to show you a couple of those. One of them says, team, together we can do the work of one. Another one says, multitasking, the art of doing twice as much as you should, half as well as you could. There's another one. Failure is not an option. It is your destiny. <laughs> How about this one? Underachievement. Because soaring with eagles requires so much more effort. But this is my favorite. Hindsight. Those were really the droids we were looking for. Those were really the droids you were looking for. <laughs> I guess that was only for Star Wars fans. But this is the reality. We all want to live with hope. See, we can, we can live for, for uh, up to 30 days without food. We can live for up to three days without water. We could live up to eight minutes without air. But we cannot live a minute without hope. Because hope is the force that drives you even in spite of the circumstances. Because life's purpose is not to be successful, it is to be significant. And significance is derived from the impact that we have on other people. And without hope, we cannot have impact on anybody else. Because there's no life, really, in ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 13, this has been our text for the last few weeks. It says, it's in your notes, if you are following, it's in your notes right there. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. This, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We talked about love a few weeks ago. We talked about um, uh, faith last week, and today we close our series talking about hope. But the question is, how can I live a life of hope when I feel hopeless? Because the reality is that at some point in time, all of us have felt a little bit hopeless. If you've been a parent, you know that you felt a little bit hopeless at some point in time. If you've been a spouse, you know that you felt a little bit hopeless someday. And if you haven't, trust me, you will. If you have issues with health, with business, with your job, if you've been a human at some point in time, you have felt hopeless. 
So how can I live a life of hope in the middle of the world and circumstances that we're surrounded by? I'd like to share with you a few principles that the Word of God offers to us in the moments when hope seems the last thing available. And the first of those is that we have to learn to listen to God's song of hope. The psalmist in chapter 118, or Psalm 118, writes in verse 13, I was pushed hard so that I was failing. And if we stop right there, we could see the, hopeless, the hopelessness in, in the psalmist. And, and if David is the one who wrote this psalm, we understand why he felt like that. Because David was not only persecuted for things that he hadn't done, but he was fearing for his life. And he felt alone. He wasn't trusted to be the king of a nation, but he was living in a cave. He wasn't trusted to leave an army, the army of God, but he was the leader of rebels. But he says, I was failing. And that comma is so powerful. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength. And my song, he has become my song. I guess in those times when, when, when we feel happy, we, we, we listen to the radio, we listen to a song to make us happy. We, we have certain songs for certain moods, don't we? We have elevator songs, elevator music. We have songs when we're happy, songs for Christmas. We have songs for New Year. We have songs when the Dodgers win, when they used to win. <laughs> but we have songs for everything. But the one song that should always be present in our hearts is the song of hope that God is singing to us. Because He's always telling us, you are not alone. This circumstance is temporary. Hold on. I'm here with you. See, it is said that, that, that a few soldiers in the middle of the battles during the First World War, they found among the wreckage a turntable and some records. But most of the records, and for those of you who are more modern, records were things round like plates that songs were used to be written on. There was no cloud, no internet. So, so these this, this records were made out of, uh, the older ones were made out of clay, but the newer ones were made out of vinyl. And, and, and what happened was that these this soldiers, as they were going through the wreckage, they found this turntable and some albums. And most of them were broken, except one. One from a famous singer from the 1920s and 30s, Enrico Caruso. And they found this, this album, and it was scratched, but they took it. So when they got back to camp, they tried to make the turntable work, and they played the album. Some of the soldiers who were listening to the song, they would say, well, why are they listening to that? It's all the scratched up. It doesn't sound like anything. But those who knew who Caruso was, they could not help it. Because in the middle of, this, of the scratches, they could hear the voice of the master singing. And you see, family, what we need to learn is that in the middle of the scratches of life, we need to train our ears to listen to the voice of the master. Because his song of hope is always sounding. It's always ringing. Especially in the moments 
that are most difficult is when the Lord's voice is more soothing and pleasant to the ear. The second principle that we need to, to learn in the moments of despair and hopelessness is that we need to learn to follow the master's plan. Why? Because we are confused. We are confused. We hear so many voices. We hear so many things. We hear so many plans out there. In fact, there, it's not as, as popular anymore, but last decade, it was a surge on self-help books. In fact, if you would go to a bookstore, remember I said last decade? If you went to a bookstore, there was a full section of self-help books. And if you've been an adult for a while, you know you read at least one of those. How to do something. How to be something. How to be better at. Because we all wanted to be better. But the thing is that the world will offer many plans. But all they cause is confusion. Because God has a master plan. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, one of the things is that we suffer and we become confused because we want to follow our plan. And when our plan does not work, when something changes in our plan, we don't know what to do. And the answer is very simple. We don't know what to do because we don't know what is next. But see, the beautiful thing about God is that He always knows what is next. So when we follow His plan... Even when things change, he knows what, what's coming next. It would be nice if we would know God's plan 30 years in advance, right? That everybody, when is born, babies, when I'm born, would come with a set of manuals that would say, okay, this is going to be what you have to do in your life. That would be awesome. But it's not like that. And there's one reason why. Because, see, for God... It's not so important that we know His will. What is important to God is that we live in His will. And the reason why He doesn't give us the plan ahead of time is because He wants us to live in a relationship with Him. Not just following a plan. See, what do you do when you follow directions and building something from Ikea? When you're done, what do you do? You keep those manuals in case I need it again. Right? And oftentimes they don't even work. But we throw them away. And that's exactly what we would do if God would give us his plan in advance. We would take a relationship with him for granted. In Philippians 4, 6, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything be by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So what, what he's saying here is that we're going to have circumstances that will be difficult. We're going to have moments in life where life is going to be tough. 
We're going to have changing situations and life is not always going to be the same and you have to learn to adjust. Because what? I'm going to give you the ability to be successful in what's next. I'm going to give you the ability and the strength to go through the difficult moments. I'm going to give you the experience of the past to help you in your future. Because I know the plans that I have for you. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. And the peace of God will follow when you trust me. So what should we do when we don't know what's next? What should we do when we feel hopeless? Well, Paul says very simple. Talk to God. Talk to God. Ask Him about it. Talk to Him about it. And ask Him, what are you doing? Because see, th this is the thing. People who believe in God and people who do not believe in God have moments of, hope, uh, of hopelessness. Both. But the difference is that those who don't believe in God and have moments of hopelessness, they will be hopeless. That's the result. But if you believe in God, you have the chance to not be hopeless. Because God is a God of hope. Now let me help you a little more. I don't know what the future holds. But you know what's follow, what follows. I know who holds the future. That uncertainty is the difference between those who trust in God and those who don't. So when I follow the master's plan, things at times I will not understand at the moment. But if I continue to trust, things will make sense. The third principle that I want to share with you is that we, we need to endure even when there seems to be no hope. Endure even when there seems to be no hope. And now this is, sounds really tough, doesn't it? Sounds tough. Because there are two ways. Two ways in which we lose hope. One is failing and the other one is waiting. See, failure, it's a fact of life. Because we all have failed at something. Haven't we? And if you haven't, trust me, it's coming. But see, failing does not make me a failure. Let me say that again in case you fell asleep in that moment. <laughs> failing does not make me a failure. What makes me a failure is stop trying when I fail. What makes me a failure is not getting up after a failing moment. In fact, there are very famous failures in life, in history. One of them, George Washington. You've heard of him? He lost two-thirds of his battles. Two-thirds. But he won the war. Another one, Napoleon. He was 42 in his class of 43. 
But in case you didn't know, he conquered the world. For the U.S. sports fans, Babe Ruth. One of the best baseball players in history, Babe Ruth. He struck out 1,335 times in 20 years. But he hit 713 home runs. He's not known because, uh, because of the times he struck out. He's known because of his home runs. But if you look at the numbers, he failed more times than he succeeded. So it is okay to fail, and failing does not make you a failure. It's to stop trying after you fail. Successful people are not those who never fail. Successful people are those who don't know when to quit. In Lamentations, and it's interesting because the book of Lamentations was written, was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is known as the crying prophet. So if anybody was always in a blue uh, mood, it was Jeremiah. So you know that he, has, he had his downs. You know that Jeremiah had his hopelessness moments. And he writes this. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His miracles never come to an end. Verse 23. They are new every are you with me? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. No, notice, he's saying that even though today was horrible, even though today I failed, tomorrow I have another chance. God would give me the strength, the ability, the plan, the, the, the leading, because tomorrow God will give me another morning, and in this morning will be better. Because God, our God, it's the God of second chances and thirds and fourths and fifths. It sounds like a cliche, but in reality, that's what he's saying right here. So the first cause of hopelessness is failure. What's the second? Waiting. All right. Somebody was paying attention. Waiting causes us to lose hope. Have you ever been shopping with your spouse? Okay, let me change that. How do you shop? You see, Paul and I have different styles of shopping. You see, when I go shopping to a, some mall or store or whatever, I know what I want. I know what I need to buy. I go and I'm like a hunter. I go, I search, I see it, I get it. I'm out. <clears throat> All I'm going to say is that Paola is a little different. We could go to the mall, to the store. She tries out a few outfits. We spend two hours in the store and go back home empty-handed. It's perfectly fine with me not buying anything. It's the waiting. It's the waiting. 
I'll be back. I'm going to try this out. If you're a husband, you know what I'm talking about. It's the waiting in the ladies' section of the store when there's no places to sit. What do you look at? You don't want to be the uncaring husband looking at your phone all the time. And you have to be ready. How does it look? <laughs> you don't want to say the wrong thing. It's the waiting that kills me. It's the waiting. Waiting for God to act. Waiting for a result to come. Waiting for a check to arrive. Waiting for a letter of acceptance to return. Waiting. Waiting causes us to become hopeless. But Isaiah writes, verse 40, chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait... In fact, you can change that word, wait, in the Hebrew, for hope. Those who have hope for the Lord shall never, I mean, shall, shall, let me read that again. But those who wait or hope for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And, and if you realize, these are exactly the things that happen to us when we feel hopeless. We are tired. We are weary. We're weak. But it says, if you wait on the Lord, if you place your hope on the Lord, even when you're waiting for those results, even when you're waiting for that interview result, even when you're waiting for that check to arrive, even when you're waiting for whatever it is that is causing you to lose hope, the Lord will give you exactly what you need as you wait. If it's the strength that you need, he'll give it to you. If it's, if it's, if it's patience, it'll, he'll give it to you. If it's money, let me tell you, God will give it to you. Because he promised that in the moment of our need, he is faithful. And let me tell you, I've never seen a faithful person that in the most needed moment, God did not come through. Now, if you go today, God, give me a 20 bucks, it's not going to work. Because it doesn't work like that. But God has been faithful. And in 20 years of ministry, I've seen that every time that one of his children is in a moment of need, God always comes through. So, now, what shall we do? Well, encourage others with a message of hope. We have a message of hope. We do. I mean, the Bible is a book of hope. I've heard somebody saying that the Bible is a book that was written for the hopeless. And if you think about it, in the most deep, in the deepest theological dimension of the Bible, it was written for the hopeless. Because it was written for a race that had fall, fallen away 
from the source of life. Our only option was that someone was willing to redeem us. So God gives us a book of hope. A book of his story with the hopeless in all kinds of situations. And we have a hope today that even though we live in this world of pain, suffering, anxiety, war, Democrats and Republicans, economy and immigration, elections and homelessness, We have the hope that one day we will not experience any more of that. But let me tell you something. Because the Bible teaches us something very important. That hope is not a theory. Hope is a practical experience. Now... I want to do an experiment with you during this week. If you have your bulletin, in the bulletin, there is a card. You see it? Show me the card. You have it? Okay. Now, this is the challenge that I have for you. This is the experiment that we're going to do. Because this week, we're going to share a little bit of hope. Now, this is how it's going to work. Now, you can read the card later. Pay attention to me, okay? Then, oh, I, I didn't get it. Pay attention to me for a minute, okay? Next time that you go out on your car, you're going to take that card with you. No, you're not going to put it on your dashboard. You're not going to, no. You're going to have it with you. Because, see, when you go to the store next time, for the person that is behind you, you're going to pay for the groceries within your limits, within your capacity. And what you're going to do is that you're going to tell the cashier, you know what? I'm going to pay for the person that follows me. And you're gonna, all you're going to say is somebody who left this card for you paid for your food. Okay. You don't have money to pay for the groceries. Next time you go to Starbucks and you go through the drive-thru. Okay, that's better, right? You pay. They already know how much you need to pay for the person behind you. And you say, you know what? I'm going to pay for the person that is following me. All you have to do is give them this card. And let's see what happens. Let's see what happens when we spread hope. Hope that this world is not as messed up as it's supposed to be. Because, see, we don't trust on people anymore. But what if for one moment, for one minute, you draw a smile on somebody else's face? See, a lot of the times we do something and we call it evangelism or we call it outreach or we call it whatever the, the word of the decade is. But we expect that person to come to my church. Let's do something without expecting anything else. Let's do something just for the sake of spreading hope. And all you have to do 
is leave the card behind. Now, I know some of you are going to want more than one card, and we have cards at the end. After communion, after the service today, the deacons will be out there, and they will have the cards ready for you. So you can take more than one. I know you, you are a frequent buyer at Starbucks, so you can do that, right? Or if you go to Whole Foods, but there's more expensive there, but you go there, right? Uh, wherever you go, let's spread a little bit of hope. Why? Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. See, the church was designed by God to become an instrument of hope. That's the only reason why God established His church. So that His church can become an instrument of hope. So today in this community, it is our responsibility to become those instruments of hope. And let's do it from the most fundamental and simple way possible. With the people that we go to the store with. We might not even know them. But they are just like us. They shop in the same store as we do. They buy the same things that we do. Well, hopefully not. Some things. But the basic things. Let's become instruments of hope.